0: There is a contemporary religion called heathendom. And if you ask people where it comes from, uh, you'll typically get sort of two kinds of answers. One is that this tradition was kept in my family for millennia. And I do give courses and here's a PayPal account. Or some say that this is an invented tradition. It emerged in the 20th century. started from some Nazis who founded some Nazi shit called Odinism. And uh, it's a kind of spiritual racism and that's where it came from. Both these narratives are in fact rather reductive and they occlude what I believe is a stronger and more precise and more exhaustive description. Um, This video here is about that ancient tradition of ontological resistance and ontological resilience to worldview domination, which contemporary heathendom and similar contemporary pagan traditions are a part of. I think this video is probably the most like a university lecture that I ever made. I've even enlisted my whiteboard here and a little pointing thing. Um, This is basically a piece of history of religions that I think that people ought to know the basics of. Check out this t-shirt by the way. Uh, We tried to produce this Yggdrasil image, which is uh, Found on the Swedish Ockelbos stone and which is really an I think an amazing Sort of multi-layered expression of Nordic animism the world tree as the principle of connectedness that sort of springs from Relation making check it out on our homepage. Yeah, that was just a little commercial spot (laughs) Uh, And before I start on this I also just want to make a little um, disclaimer this History here is actually not my main area, so it's not impossible possible that I missed or eschew something somewhere. But the point is the overall image that I'm trying to make, right? Contemporary heathendom should not be seen as much as a systemic religion, but rather as a kind of religion. And that kind of religion has ancient roots. It was there before Christianity. It has important features that are characteristic of pre-Christian religions, features that never really disappeared but lived on in different transformational forms of religiosity that uh, were opposed to the kinds of religiosities that has, uh, have supported political and social power through the last millennia in uh, in Europe. These kinds of religiosities are today lumped under the, the term esotericism uh, and one important characteristic that puts these kinds of religiosity at odds with, moder- with, with uh, Christianity and, and later with modernity is that these kinds of religiosities insist on the divine and the material being tightly interconnected. Imminence or, yeah, interconnectedness. And this is very close to, say, animism, actually, right? So it's important to note that esotericism is non-normative forms of religion and thinking, forms with basic traits that are rather akin actually to animism, right? So there's strong trends in here uh, that are based on entanglement, sort of identity between the divine and the material. And this esotericism here is an important uh, tradition that contemporary heathendom is, I think, most fundamentally a branch on. Uh, But before... Before we come to that, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about the immediate uh, background to contemporary uh, heathendom. Uh, right. Contemporary heathendom itself, by the way, is not just one thing. It's a super heterogeneous field of like different groups and ideologies and ways of thinking. And there are people who, uh, who know how to describe this with much... More, uh, much more exhaustively and with more precision than me. You find neo-shamanic traditions, all kinds of neo, uh, new age, neo-pagan stuff, queer empowerment, and also the racist stuff, which is uh, the so-called folkism, right? But, uh, uh, but really it's, it's, it's contemporary heathendom is a very heterogeneous, complex thing, right? So here, here is the sort of overall map, map of the background. Here on the side you see the Scandinavian popular religion and folklore. Here uh, you see esotericism. uh, And here we have Romanticism, which is a fairly uh, recent trend and is also characterized in some way by being more modernist in my view, view, and therefore in fact less animist than the other traditions here. Romanticism has sprung out of esotericism in, in, in some ways, and it kind of becomes a middle point between all this stuff here and uh, Christianity and modernism. The, those non animist worldviews that have supported social power, uh, and which I've represented here, with an image of a reptilian overlord pope. As it's visible here, this is not one group or one secret lodge or anything of that sort. It's very dis- disparate, heterogeneous landscape of groups and ideologies, religiosities, whose identity as esotericism is in fact mostly defined by the fact that they're all rejected and marginalized by the dominant worldviews. But this kind of identification is in fact not uncommon. What exactly is it, for instance, that make black people black people? But Congos and Sessoulos, Yoruba and Njingo, they probably don't have much more cultural common ground between them than each of them might have with, I don't know, the Irish or Arabs. Uh, but uh, there is a pressure, social forces of domination that identifies them as black people. And then black people emerges and people start start identifying as such. And in, in a similar way, this stuff is not one thing but many, but it's identified by its resistance to dominant worldview. And by the way, today esotericist uh, identifying people are totally putting themselves on the map. Um, but that's kind, kind of a different uh, different story. Cool, but let me start in Scandinavia. And first of all, uh, there are some problems in how we define popular religiosities or traditional religiosities. The word heathen is often conceived of, of as something that is distant and pre-Christian and rather static, rather than something that's kind of there and which is very transformational, uh, you know, as you go through history. And this is the reason that I, I don't use that label, but I prefer to talk of of, of animism because it opens uh, for observing all the other cool stuff that's there. And I'm just gonna mention a couple of sort of high points or fixed points you could say in, in popular Scandinavian religiosity that sort of highlights spots in this huge vast material of animist belief and practice uh, just to give you a little bit of an image of how heathen heathen, some of this can actually look. For instance in, in, um, in Sweden there was the Orskang ritual that was there until the the uh, 20th century and which was really kind of a shamanic odinic vision quest to win runes um, in order to gain the second sight. In Norway around the turn of the 19th century to the 20th century you could still find uh, observed a funeral sacrifice where a cow would be sacrificed at a burial mound outside the farm by the son of the man who had just died. That's late 19th century. Different deities, such as Odin, could still be found, particularly in Sweden, uh, but also in other places, or the names would would um, would occur, I uh, heard a guy in the 1970s talking about the Odin's Jäger in, in, in Sweden in a recording that you could find the wild hunt, you could meet the wild hunt. If you go back through time, it would get back into the uh, 18th uh, century here, uh, which is well before Romanticism and nationalism started uh, kicking off, and about that time, a Danish pastor called Erik Pontopadan, uh published a kind of witch hammer, actually, a sweep called the sweeping broom against the leftovers of heathendom and papism. And I'm, I'm going to give you the full title. <laughs> Ivericulum fermenti veteris, seu residue in denico orbe cum paganismi tum papismi reliquiae in abricium polete. Opusculum restituendo sue reliquiae ex parte integritate Christianismo vellificaturum. That was the days when people know how to title a book. <laughs> um In that book, you can read how peasants a couple of hours west of Copenhagen we still sacrifice a cattle in complex seasonal ritual uh, 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 around that time early 18th century uh, and you can read about all other kinds of awesome uh uga booga that people in Denmark and particularly in Norway were still doing at the time this is all also the time of a figure such as the amazing Arne Bolvar son that nobody knows uh he's an Uh, Icelandic pastor who a good century before national romanticism and that stuff turned it up turned up starting to valorize uh, pre-christian nordic culture decided that Odin was cooler than Jesus and composed gnomic weird devotional poetry written in runes. and this is an increasing example of what I've called viking washing that nobody knows that this even exists it was never published let alone translate translated you know I'm working on that by the way um, Viking washing is the historic tendency to reject all this stuff because it isn't Vikings, and hence reducing traditional Scandinavian religiosity and culture to the sort of larping dream of, of of something that's incredibly distant. Right, <clears throat> going back even further, we have uh, an old man in Uppsala who uh, uh, who spoke about these deeply heathen concept in his. in in his uh, conceptualization of calendar. I've spoken about this elsewhere. The Swedish rune poems were recorded in in this period, still in use among peasants at the time, as a way of, as part of their animist reading of the year. Um, This is also about the time when scholars really started being interested in in, in this stuff. And uh, we'll come back to some of those. Going back even further, we find the first Icelandic Baldastaviar manuscript clearly influ- influenced by continental esoteric trends going further back we find the middle come into the middle ages where we have del- dating dating the medieval ballads in many cases, this is epic poetry in new forms, even at times marginal epic poetry, such as the Danish medieval ballad of Ungen which is really the Grågaarder and Fjoldsvansmal in medieval ballad form. Runic magic is a main theme in this medieval ballad, which makes a lot of sense because archaeology shows a lot of rune letters, little formulas packed with European and Nordic uh, supernatural beings sort of mixed together. This was also around the time that the Elder Edda was committed to writing. And the first evidence of a runic calendar uh, is found in Scandinavia. Snorri and and Saxo, a little bit earlier writing here, um, around the time that Christianity rose to power in Sweden. At this time, you can find runic inscriptions with European hermetic tradition, the so-called Sator Arepo Square, and you can Wikipedia check exactly what that is. Going back further, we reach a time when the heathen temple in Uppokra was burned, um, marking Christian domination in Denmark, entering a decisive phase of aggressive domination. Christianity formally rose to power in in, in Denmark about a century earlier, and Iceland also around that time, uh, uh, around the the turn of the 11th, uh, 11th century. Cool. Uh, Note how the influences from European esotericism and and Hermeticism can be gleaned almost all the time. It was probably never really not there. Uh, There are those who believe that you can go back a millennium more, almost, and still find these kind of connections. Uh, For instance, the Iron Age practiates might in fact be inspired by uh, Hellenic Mithraism, um, which is very much this kind of train of religion. Um, but also when we talk about popular religion in Scandinavia it's a little bit of an open question to me how directly all this popular uh, religiosity contributed to the 20th century production of contemporary heathendom. It was probably there in subtle ways, probably still kind of is, you know. Cool. So now to the important root of contemporary heathendom Uh, uh, and there there's Ample literature of this uh, recent history, but I believe that it mainly branched out of Wicca, which might might be why so many heathens are excessively critical of Wicca. You often see that when stuff branches out, that there's a kind of a need to identify yourself towards the root thing somehow. Another important figure was uh, a Danish, uh, National Socialist uh, Ilse Christensen who migrated to the US and founded Odinism in the 1969 Odinism. And this was rooted in some of that Nazi occultism and all that kind of thing, uh, which springs from the intersection between nationalism, romanticism, and the sort of esoteric trends. Um, And this is what most people uh, describe in terms of the origin of a true heathen complex today. But there's a lot more to that. This stuff did play a role, but it's reductive to end the story there. It occludes, I think, the major influence of Wicca, um, which has sometimes been labeled the only full formed religion which England can be said to have given, given the world. It was founded by Gerald Gardner in the early 20th century. And with Wicca, we are in the esoteric tradition. And I recommend Angela Puka's channel to get a better knowledge of, of all this than, than I have to offer. Wicca sprung from the occult society named the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn that also birthed Alastair Crowley and the Thelema, right? Which again ha- has formed part of the inspiration to 20th century Satanism, which I guess, you know, uh, would. Be to, uh, I guess that Satanism would be to some kinds of contemporary metal music a little bit what Rastafarianism is to reggae. It's a kind of a religious framework that people refer to without necessarily being actually very much involved in it, yet, which expresses some kind of countercultural ethos. Um, and this metal music counterculture has uh, an enduring and strong interface with, uh, and therefore possibly impact on, contemporary heathendom. There is, for instance, a very successful metal festival in Norway that sort of plays on this interface. It's the Blood in Norway. And, and so this is kind of an, another line out of the Golden Dawn up to, to heathendom. Right, but the Golden Dawn occultists here, they emerged from this late 19th-century mirror where spiritism and theosophy and those kind of things were on the scene. The founders, however, of this lodge were Freemasons. Now, Freemasons go back through history, sometimes claimed to come from the Knights Templar. That story is probably made up. Um, perhaps they came from Rosicrucians, mystics, inspired by the ancient tradition of Hermeticism, Neoplatonicism, also an ancient tradition, alchemy, and importantly, the Kabbalah. Now, Kabbalah should really not be confined down here. I just didn't have the space on the whiteboard. Um, But but it could actually have a whole line that goes all the way up. Um, The influence of this Jewish mysticism goes all the way through history. Non-Jewish Europeans started being inspired by the Kabbalah around the time that the Elder Edda was written down. And the influence goes all the way through up to today. There are heathens today who learned Hebrew in order to attain a level of understanding the Kabbalah where they can probably uh, properly apply it to Nordic tradition. Right. So Jewish tradition probably had a much deeper and more defining influence on contemporary heathendom than this stuff here. Take that one, Himmler. Um, one very uh, visual, uh, visual example and common example of this is the conflation of the Yggdrasil with the Sefirot structure from the Kabbalah. Cool. Note, by the way, that these traditions here are ancient. They're very long flows of esotericism, hermeticism. It goes back to the ancient world. Alchemy sprung out of, I think, Islamic science. Kabbalah, ancient again. It, it, it emerges at, as Kabbalah, I think, in the Middle Ages, but it, it rests on earlier forms of Jewish mysticism, such as the makoah and so on. Uh, Neoplatonicism, again, ancient. These are, of course, transformational, and they reach back in time quite a lot, right? Of course, Christianity also plays a role in these uh, alternative uh, kinds of religion. And all, there's always this interplay between the Scandinavian stuff and all this stuff here. Not only today, but all the way back. You know, there, there's probably the time where there was still heathens in, in Sweden. You could find these Arepo inscriptions. One particularly important sort of crossroads figure in all this is Johannes Burius, Johann Buer. He was in runes and inspired by alchemy and Kabbalah. And at the time when they were burning witches in the streets of Uppsala, he was lying in his study chamber, like, tribbing about how to merge runes in with Arabic letters and alchemy and all that kind of stuff. You know, a very colorful and interesting and weird figure. His work inspired Olaf Rudbeck, who invented the absolutely crazy idea that Sweden was really this sunken Atlantis. And this produced... Goticism, which is one of the earliest nationalist-leaning ideologies in Scandinavia. The, ide- the idealization of the Gothic or Gothonic peoples. So here is where na- uh, Romanticism and Nationalism starts branching out of Esotericism. And Nationalism and Romanticism became this very influential train of thinking that was inspired by all the stuff over here. But these ideologies came to serve social power. Uh, because they they build identity as identity, self-image as something interior defined by an abstract transcendent, transcendent thing that can be centrally constructed. This today has many forms like race, culture, blood and so on, volksgeist. This particular idea, volksgeist, is important. It came from the German Christian theologian Johann Gottfried Herder, who launched this idea of the Volksgeist, the spirit of a people? And the spirit was supposed to be built with mythologies of the distant past. You could say that Odin and Thor and Freya is thereby not actual deities in and of themselves, but sort of reduced to motif symbolisms that are part of producing this nationalized version of the Christian idea of the Holy Ghost, the Volksgeist, right? Uh, and this was later, later associated or conflated into Jungianism and has become ama- uh, amazingly influential. In Denmark, the pastor Grundvig <laughs> uh, adopted this thinking to such an extent that the most important Christian line in Denmark actually considers the Eddas uh, on the line with the Old Testament. Jakob K- Knussen. A convidian pastor uh, in, in the 20th century who composed a very well-known and very beautiful song that praises the rising sun, he regarded himself as 100% Christian, but 90% heathen. <laughs> a, a Christian pastor uh, who says that he's 90% heathen. It's a little bit weird. Um, this is, by the way, is the, uh, the kind of Christianity my family comes from. And guys, I mean, here I have the, this sort of kind of secular cultural nationalist songbook or songbook, uh, and um, that's attached to this kind of tradition. It has come from my great grandfather. I wish I could translate some of this stuff that Grundvik wrote in this, uh, some of those songs. It is hilariously vulgar and it just goes on and on and on about proud Vikings and stuff, you know. <laughs> um, This kind of Christianity has a very strong nationalist trend and has also been involved in really bad stuff like anti-Semitism. But today it's actually uh, mainly progressive, I think, and inclusive. Belonging was defined by adherence and not by some like blood quantum gibberish or something like that. Grundvik said, He belongs to the people, the folk, who counts himself thereof. Right? Cool. Uh... Romanticism also gave birth to scholarship, actually, cultural scholarship, such as Wilhelm Grönbeck, uh, the founder of the Institute of History and Religions where I was educated from, took my MA from, uh, a weirdly paradoxical figure, and I won't go into him here, um, but also the American School of Anthropology actually emerged from Romanticist thinking, and they managed to take Romanticist thinking into some of the most progressive thinking with culture in the 20th century. Uh, American understandings of culture have, have produced simultaneously some of the most deepest, most respectful and kindest ways of understanding, uh, but also some of the most pathological patterns of the 20th century um, American extremes. Uh, but of course, uh, Romanticism also gave rise to the sort of proto-Nazism uh, pr- lodges like the Tula Society in Germany, Fun List and, and all that kind of stuff. A lot could be said about this. I'll just also mention a couple of names from the English side. The overexposed reactionary old thought J.R.R. Tolkien. And the overlooked awesome socialist uh, William Morris that my friend Joseph Hopkins has made me aware of. Right. It's important to remember that all these three sections are really super entangled with each other. These categories are kind of analytical fields. But a guy like Rudolf Rudbeck, for instance, he was really like a modern esotericist, proto-nationalist dude who built on that stuff, right? Unites these things. Stuff influenced quite a lot across these distinctions. There are popular, and, and we must ask ourselves, popular notions of the Odin's hunt in Sweden, even into the 20th century, are they influenced by, I don't know, spiritism or uh, romanticist idealization of folklore? It's possible, you know, also if it isn't visible. Uh, would the amazing production of Arnie Bodvarsson be influenced by these Swedish guys about around the same time, who had already started to valorize the Nordic, Nordic animist heritage, really, right? Uh, and these influences go all the way back through history. You know, As it was pointedly pointed out by the podcaster Erik Storsson, the Icelandic Stavier are totally influenced by Solomonic magic and Hermeticism. Uh, the runic calendar, which came to uh, Scandinavia around this time, the foundational system is uh, inspired by European science at the time in the Middle Ages. So, there are more connections than there are distinctions, really. (sighs) Everything's connected. But the important fundamental observation is that all this here is rejected knowledge forms, where an important element is insisting on the divine and the material as not secluded from each other, but... Uh, secluded from each other as you find it when you come into nationalisms and uh, other reptilian overlord worldviews of domination modernity and Christianity and so on, right? Um, And and, and here's the bottom line. It is that these in these uh, perspectives here, you find the interconnected worldviews more than in the normative worldviews. Cool. There's also an important question, and that is why is this stuff up here so incredibly overexposed? And guess what? What? The reason is the reptilian overlords, right? And this is also a point I have from Joseph Hopkins, uh, whose homepage mimisbrunner.info is in fact one of the best information sources on the on ancient Germanic religiosities on the Norse web. I regularly encourage Hopkins to publish some of his stuff because what he puts on that page is like aeons better than a lot of the stuff that goes on and actually gets published. So please check out that web that uh, webpage. Cool. And here I'm actually paraphrasing a point that, that Hopkins made. If Christianity should remain a normative ideology, then it's important to ethically whitewash Christianity from some of its implication in bad shit, like Hitler Germany, for instance, which was permeated by Christianity on all levels. So, in order to avoid, um, uh, 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 in order to avoid uh, compromising ex- ex- existing power structures and spur cultural self-reflection and criticism, people latch on to the minor fact that Him- Himmler and some of his bodies were into some paganist-looking stuff. And that is totally overexposed, and this achieves two goals. One, it acquits Christianity from its ginormous implication in Hitler-Germany. To this day, one of the main ruling party parties in Germany is the Christlich Demokratische Union Deutschland, uh, an explicitly Christian identifying conservative party. Right. The other reason is that this maintains the rejection, the cultural rejection of all the esoteric pig- paganist stuff. Nordic symbolism is deeply stigmatized, untold in Germany, right? And the, the asymmetry is absurd. Christianity is much more implicated in Nazism than paganism. So the focus on uh, Nazi stuff as the root of paganism is basically an expression of Christian domination. Another more recent example was seen in the United States where there was basically a kind of evangelist revival movement that attacked the capital, the center of democracy in the US. And what was the iconic image that we all saw? It was seen from Kamchatka to flipping Djibouti. You know, it was some kind of clownish dude with some heathen tattoos and some indigenous looking gear on him, right? The media makes the easy choice of this exotifying image because the reality is a little bit more difficult and heavy to handle. That all those bourgeois Christians need to do a little bit of self-reflecting on the way that the ideologies that are dear to them play a role in bad shit. Right, And I'm not saying that there's zero interface between fascism and paganism. There is an interface, and it's a huge problem, uh, primarily for the work to recover Euro-traditional knowledge forms, but this interface is also overexposed, because overexposing it supports this practice of rejecting the immanentist, esotericist, paganist, connected realities. Right? But... The rejected knowledge forms, the magic, the paganisms, the animism—all the cool shit—they've never disappeared, and they never will. And as such, contemporary heathendom uh, is a uh, is a branch of a millennia of European resilience to ideologies that have been applied by power to create social coherence. Right, um, cool. And uh, there's also, there's one dimension in fact here that I haven't spoken of, of and that is the interface between esoteric tradition and science. These two have actually been tightly interconnected and this is a long story, but for a brief recent history in Occidental history, science had been trying to convince itself that it had absolutely nothing to do with all this crazy ooga booga, right? But with animist theory, we are moving into a paradigm where we can start thinking scientifically with that stuff again. So in a sense, Nordic animism is emerging between the esoteric scientific connection into folkloric tradi- tradition with the non-occidental support of indigenous thinking and, and so on. But yes, uh, that last bit here points a little bit outside this this uh, this video here, perhaps for another video. Thank you very much for listening and see you around. Setze auf den Hühnigen, wo